Hi, this is Lori. And this is Rachel. Welcome to Tales, Tales from, from the Rock Side. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Bob. What's up? Not much. Hey, everybody. Rachel's sick. I sound Pitiful. You do sound kind of sad. And it's, I don't feel very good, so yeah, that makes sense. So we're going to get through this episode without a lot of input from Rachel. It's going to be like a story time. It is a story you. time. But it's good because it's part one of Elvis Presley, Whoa. which is a big one. It's a big one. It is. Got a lot to say. A lot to say about Elvis. So I guess I'll just take it away. Give it, give it to me. I don't have a lot to say about all this. Okay. And this is more than one part. This is going to be, this is our first multi-parter. Ooh. Yeah. I don't know exactly how long it's going to be. Definitely two parts, maybe three. Um, I feel like there's enough information about him to go to three parts. I don't know if there's enough to make three full playlists, unless we start getting into like some live performances or something. I don't know. We we'll could do, we could do playlists one. And then play with two and three and just combine. We could. We could. I kind of like, I like the idea of them, like, I, I don't want the numbers of playlists to get off of the number of podcasts, if that makes sense. I see. Well, I don't know. I don't know. We've got options. We'll yeah. figure them out. If anyone wants to let, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> so sorry. Okay. If anyone wants to let us know what they think we should do. That's a good idea. Yeah. Our email is um rockside tales at gmail.com i'm sorry my voice that's so okay bad. we also have an instagram tales from the rock side we have a facebook tales from the rock side so you can always contact us on any of those we'd appreciate it and we'll see what we're gonna do um i we, we might maybe the third one will be like parodies of elvis or something because there's a ton of those out that could too be fun. or elvis songs about elvis the only thing i that can think of too. is the kate song right now though but i think there's a ton of them too are there i'm sure there are and well there's the um mojo nixon song elvis is everywhere oh yeah yeah so i'm sure that there's more fun. yeah so i don't know the third the third playlist might just be a grab bag yeah who knows yep we'll see if we get to it. if we even do three episodes I don't know. I haven't written the second part, so I don't know. <laughs> but this one goes into his induction <coughs> so in the sorry. army, so he has an awful lot coming on He's after that. He's got a lot going on. So, okay. okay. Well, here we go. We'll start it out. Start time. Um, the source for this episode is uh, mostly a book called Being Elvis, A Lonely Life by Ray Connolly, and a few websites, like, you know, obviously Wikipedia, Biography, and Encyclopedia Britannica. Cool. Um, so starting off, uh, Elvis Aaron Presley was born January 8th, 1935 in Tupelo, Mississippi. He was born with an identical twin brother called Jesse Garen Presley. Did you know that? I'd heard that before. Okay. And his, his, uh, twin was stillborn. Um, his parents were Vernon and Gladys Presley. And then Elvis was the only child they had. I mean, they had two children, but one died. They didn't have any more children after that. Right. Um, Elvis was very close to his parents. They had a really good relationship. He was really, really close to his mother, um, which formed a lot of his lot later life. Right. Um, 
the, in early in life, they intended the an Assembly of God church, and the church music was really a really driving force and early inspiration in Elvis' life. And he recorded several gossip gospel albums over the years. Um, a gossip album. Gossip gossip album. Gospel albums. Yeah, he was he was very influenced by uh, music from the church. Mm-hmm. So, and growing up, Elvis's mother was really the domineering force in the family. His father, he kind of drifted from job to job, and he even went to jail for eight months on a check-altering charge. Oops. So, like, his father was, um, not, not that he was a bad guy or anything like that, but he just wasn't real ambitious and driven, and his mother really kept the family together and made the bulk of the decisions. Um, they usually got by with help from neighbors and family and government assistance. Mm-hmm. But he was encouraged in music early in life. He was given a guitar for his 11th birthday, which he learned to play a bit. But he recalled, I took the guitar and watched people and learned to play a little bit, but I would never sing in public. I was very shy about it. And the story goes that he wanted a bicycle, but, you know, they were poor. And his mom, she kind of thought, well, I... I'm afraid if he rides a bicycle, he might be riding it into traffic. And, right. You know, she thought a guitar was something that would kind of safer. see, see a sa- the safer choice. Cheaper. And I think she also liked hearing him sing, and she wanted him to be able to accompany himself. Um, but as he entered the sixth grade, he was going to a new school, and he was a bit of a loner, and he started bringing his guitar with him to, to school. And he... He there was something he found something in music that kind of helped with his loneliness, you know, kind of being the outsider, um, and especially having a twin stillborn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you would still, cause you know, twins tend to have a bit of a stronger connection. Yeah, I could see feeling lonely due to that. Yeah, yeah, without actually being able to put your finger on it, cause the twin, like right. he never knew his twin, twin was stillborn. Exactly. So, but just feeling like maybe slightly incomplete. Right. A little bit, you know. And he was definitely a mama's boy. Yeah. You know, I think obviously because one of her children, and then I think she also had a later miscarriage also. <sighs> so um, yeah, she really kind of devoted. Elvis. <coughs> Excuse me. It's okay. Um, so he would play his guitar and kind of sing at lunchtime and, but he was often teased as being the, like the trashy kid that played hillbilly music. And I was, I read something too. I didn't write this down that there was, there's very few pictures of Elvis wearing blue jeans because he always, the only thing he ever had growing up was overalls made of denim, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so he associated like denim and blue jeans to poor. Oh. So, like, the pictures you see of him in blue jeans is usually from a movie. Right. You know, like, his character had him on. But in life, he always wore, like, trousers. And and also, like, like the areas that he grew up, you know, he was in a lot of neighborhoods that were mixed-race neighborhoods. And so the fellows that you would see dressing really sharp that looked really good were the guys that were wearing, like, you know, zoot suit slacks and, you know, which kind of, like, formed some of his early inspiration. Yeah. So, Hmm. um, it said by the, and by this time, too, they were living in a predominantly black neighborhood, and so Elvis was also listening to a lot of R&B music, along with the church music, and of course, along with country music, Mm -hmm. you know. So, um, Elvis was a devotee of Mississippi Slim's show on the Tupelo radio station, W-E-L-O. 
Slim's younger brother was one of Presley's classmates, and he often took him to the station. Slim showed Elvis some chord techniques and scheduled him for two on-air performances when Elvis was just 12. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Um, I think Elvis, he, I mean, nobody ever really expressly said it, but I think he could hold a tune pretty at a pretty young age. You know, that was just like a gift he was born with. Right. Obviously, he learned how to use his voice well, through yeah. working at it, but just, just the basic, you know, I can hold a tune came naturally to him. Cool. Um, so the first time he went on the air, he was overcome with stage fright and he, he couldn't perform, but he did the next week. In November 1948, the family moved to Mississippi, Tennessee, and got a two-bedroom apartment in a public housing complex. Um, and they did move around quite a bit when Elvis was growing up, just because right. they were obviously poor, and it was like, whatever, oh, this other situation might be a little better for us, let's move here, or Vernon got a job somewhere, and so they would move, that kind of stuff. Gotcha. At the Elsie Humes High School, Elvis got a C in music in the eighth grade. <laughs> His music teacher told him he had no aptitude for singing. So he brought his guitar in the next day, and he sang a <coughs> hit. Just trying to prove her, her wrong. Right. A, a song called Keep Them Cold Icy Fingers Off Me. <laughs> but the teacher still wasn't impressed, and as a classmate later recalled, that the teacher agreed that Elvis was right when he said that she didn't appreciate his kind of singing. Oh... Uh, he was still pretty shy about singing in front of people, though, so it wasn't, it was a pretty uh, strange thing for him to have done that, you know. That's being she mad. Must have, yeah, and, and I've, I've heard, too, that his whole life he um, would do things impulsively if, if it, he got mad about it, you know. In 1950, and when he's about 15, and he's a sophomore around this time, he began, began playing and jamming with some other neighbor boys including Dorsey and Johnny Burnett, who later had some success in early rockabilly, in an early rockabilly band. Cool. Uh, he started working with a bunch of odd jobs, and by junior year, he had started changing his appearance. He started growing out his sideburns and was oiling and styling his hair. Uh, with the money he was making by senior year, he started wearing wilder clothes by the standards of the day um, <laughs> that he bought from the shops on Beale Street in the heart of Memphis's thriving blues scene. So he was really starting to be influenced in the look that he right. had. Um, and that, you know, people would start to react to that, too. You know, In April 1953, he competed in Hume's annual minstrel show. <laughs> Oh. I don't think it was actually a minstrel show by this point. It might have started as a like legit minstrel show, but by this point it's just like a right. people like a talent like a show. talent show. Yeah. He played guitar and was singing Till I Waltz Again with You, which is a recent hit for Teresa Brewer. And he said that this did a lot for his reputation. As Elvis said, when I came on stage I heard people kind of rumbling and whispering and so forth because nobody knew I even sang. Oh. And then it was, after that, it was amazing how popular he became in school, you know. Because obviously you've got this boy who's considered like the loner dork. And then he gets up on stage and he sings pretty well. And so they go, oh, you know. So We had a similar, <coughs> so sorry. Yeah. We had somebody do that in, um, when I was in band, we did like a band talent show. Uh-huh. And I never did it because, yeah, <laughs> no thanks. But we had this kid who like sang really solid yeah. R&B and he was like just this like skinny tall dorky looking kid he was good yeah I mean honestly like um 
a major motivating force for all musicians has oh, yeah. always been to, you know, either get some attention from whatever, you know, you're looking for uh, relationship-wise, you know, to get a little boost in your ego to, you know, have people look at you differently. Yeah, he did great. Yeah. We were all really excited for him. And it yeah. was cool that he did the band one because our band is smaller than the school. Yeah. Obviously, as most bands are. Yeah. Uh, but when he did the band one, he felt confident enough to do the school one later. No, that's cool. He didn't win, but yeah. he did really good. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Elvis's <coughs> influences were, they were really the combination of what became rock and roll. He loved the country music of like Hank Snow and Roy Acuff and Ernest Hub, Jimmy Rogers. Um, the gospel singer Jake Hess was one of his favorite performers and influenced the way he sang ballads. He adored the music of... Uh, the black gospel singer, Sister Rosetta Tharp. We talked about her in yeah. our early rock and roll. She's dope. Yeah. He listened to regional radio stations such as WDIAAM that played the quote-unquote race records. Right. Um, spirituals, blues, uh, the backbeat heavy of rhythm and blues. You know, so, I mean, he really, because, because he, you know, had grown up in all of these mixed race neighborhoods, he really was able to pick up on a lot of diverse music. And then, of course, the church brought in a lot of the gospel, too. Yeah, a lot of influences. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So by the time that he graduated from high school in June of 1953, he had decided that music was going to be his future. Yeah. Which is interesting, because, like, you know, he really hasn't had, like, this huge, you know, success at, at it, at you know. And also, he played guitar, but he was never, like, driven to be like a guitar virtuoso or anything like that but he he really just wanted to sing um so i'm gonna talk start talk a little bit about sam phillips okie dokie sam phillips was a guy who had worked as a dj and he, he just loved music and he loved ballads and country music and he really loved the passion of blues so he really liked a lot of different styles of music so he decided to start a record company called sun records and to generate some income as the record for the record uh, company aspect of it, he also had a business called the Memphis Recording Service. And this was a studio, and it would, it you know, obviously it could record people just making records to sell, but it also had a, had a little side hustle that people could just come in and pay, you know, a couple dollars, and they would make a little acetate. So. People would go in and record um, like a, something that they were going to give to somebody. They would also record events like a wedding oh, and things okay. like that. It was just like I a little, see. you know, yeah, like like we could, we're going to record here bands or artists to release records, but then we're also going to have a little side hustle of just to generate some income. Yeah, it's like um, when people would rent out cameras and stuff like that yeah for weddings yeah. and all that kind of good stuff it yeah. doesn't really happen so much anymore no but but even like you know there's there's photographers that are yeah you know i i do make my art photos but i'll also take pictures of your wedding or your kids recital or whatever it is just gotcha. to make some extra money so, um, so this was some, like i said people would pay to record and also because he had this it would also give him an opportunity to kind of like hear some people like without actually auditioning them, people could come in and like, Oh, I want to make a record for, you know, just whatever. 
And then the person that was recording them would like keep a little note on file, like, you know, oh, if this person's saying pretty well, you might want to actually Try that, that kind idea. of thing. Yeah, exactly. So, um, at, at this studio, B.B. King, Junior Parker, and Helen Wolf all made some of their first recordings there. <clears throat> and Sam recorded what many historians consider to be the first rock and roll record, Rocket 88, by Jackie Breston and his Delta Cats, which was a band that was led by the 19-year-old Ike Turner. We talked about that yeah, a little who wrote bit. The song. Yeah, we did. So... Um, Sun Records would, it, it said, uh, Sun Records produced more rock and roll records than any other record label of its time during its 16-year run, producing 226 singles. Wow. Yeah. Um, and a lot of what they would do is they would, like, for a while there, they were recording, and then they would sell it to a label that would actually do the distribution. I think later on, they got big enough to start doing their own distribution. Right, right. Um, Sam, like the, the famous <coughs> quote about Sam Phillips was, is that he said, if I could find a white man who had the Negro sound and the Negro feel, I could make a billion dollars. So he was kind of actively looking, I mean, that the terminology was common. It was just like saying black man. For right. Now. Um, but it but, just doesn't sound. No, no, no. <laughs> but, but he basically was saying if he could find like, you know, like somebody who's can, who's doing this really dynamic rhythm and blues music but had the sellable face that's it and that's it you know um he he was like yeah and so he was kind of looking yeah for this you know this combination he had a marketing idea he did did. (coughs) i'm so sorry so now back to elvis okay he's now graduated high school and he's working as an apprentice electrician that mostly involves driving parts in a truck around town. So he, he, there's a lot of saying that he was a truck driver. This is what they mean. He was a truck driver. He wasn't like driving interstate, you know, semis or anything like that. He was just driving parts around. Town. Right, right. Oh, my voice is like so gone. I'm so <laughs> sorry. That's okay. But he still, I mean, he still wants to make it in music. He 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 asks everybody he meets to call them if they need a singer, and he gets a couple little tiny gigs here and there doing that um obviously he knows who sam phillips is and he knows what sun records is because it's kind of getting that growing reputation it's kind of like motown was in detroit where you know it starts to get a little bit of a name so everybody in the neighborhood's like oh hey go over there you might become a star right yeah yeah so he decided to record an acetate to get his foot in the door he tells the woman who was working there, Marion Kiesker, that he wants to make the acetate for his mother's birthday. But that's kind of an excuse because her birthday was in April and this is in July. So it was just kind of like his way of not being like, you know, it just it helped him walk through the door, right, basically. Right. Um, Marion, she really wasn't, she wasn't a secretary there. She kind of worked as a talent scout a little bit. She worked with Sam in different ways. Um, helped She would help out recordings, but she was also kind of keeping an eye out for any talent. And she asked Elvis who he sounded like, and he said, I don't sound like nobody. Um, he sang a song called My Happiness, and she thought that he had a, like a plaintive pleading sound uh-huh. to his voice. And she made the recording for Sam, and she noted that he was a good ballad singer. Oh, okay. Yeah. So around this time, Elvis began dating a girl called Dixie Locke. 
when he went to pick her up on their first date, this is cute, his parents took a look at his clothes and his hair and said, she can't go out with him. So he stayed there and played Monopoly with the family. Oh. Yeah. So I think they realized, okay, he's a good guy. And he, she, so they allowed her daughter. He was, she was a couple years younger. She was like 15. He's like 19, 18, I think at this yeah. point. Um, but they, she, they were, she was allowed to date him and they kind of became pretty serious for a while there. Her name is so cute. Dixie. That's so cute. It's a cute name. <coughs> I said that would be a good pet name. Yep. So he's continuing to work and he's trying to get singing jobs. And um, about a year after he'd made that first acetate, Sam Phillips got around to calling him. He had had a song that he wanted to record somebody, you know, and like Sam always was, he was really good at like, um, what do I want to say? Like, um, like trying, he'd get a song and then he would try to find the right person to it. Oh, and then okay. he would encourage them to like try different things. Cause like he was like, looking for like what's going to suit what singer and song are going to work together the best to obviously make something that's going to be commercially viable. Right. He was um, good at like nurturing talent in that way. And so he found this song and it was a, a kind of balladish. And I think Marion said, Oh, Hey, why don't you call that Elvis guy? Cause this might work for him. So he brought him in and worked with him on a song called without you. And he would have them like, and he did this with Elvis. He would be like, um, well, you know, try it. That was fine. That was good. But try it again. Maybe do this, you know, and he would kept, keep them working just to kind of find the thing. Right. You know, like would workshop it a bit. Workshop yeah. it a bit. Yeah. So they worked for about three hours that day and nothing really came of it. And Elvis thought he had failed his big break. Um, then about a month later, he got a call from a guy named Scotty Moore, who was a guitarist who worked with Sam. And Scotty had Elvis come over to his house, and he Scotty brought over bass player Bill Black, and they jammed for a bit. And then the following day, Elvis got a call to go into the studio to work with Scotty and Bill and Sam. So I think this whole thing was kind of engineered by I Sam. Okay. And they worked their way through a handful of songs, and Sam kept encouraging Elvis, and they worked on some pop ballads, but nothing was really sparking, you know. And they'd worked for, like, a couple hours. Sam thought maybe this was a mistake. And so they were like, okay, let's take a break. And while they're on, you know, they're just kind of, like, getting a drink, you know, but, like, all the musicians are still in the one room, and Sam's still in the control room. And Elvis started singing to himself a blues song by Big Boy Crudup. Crudup? Crudup? Crudup. I'm not sure how you pronounce that name. Not but a this, clue. This song is called That's Alright Mama. <coughs> and Bill and Scotty join in. And pretty soon Sam calls in and is like, and Sam goes, according to the book that I was reading, he, Sam says, hey, what the hell y'all doing in there? And I don't know, just fooling around, Scotty told him. Well, it don't sound too bad, Sam said. Find out what you're doing, find a place to start, and let me get it balanced right. So they did six takes. Sam chose about one or two to keep, and that was it. Hmm. Uh, they needed a flip side, and so they got together the next night to try to figure out what they're going to put on the flip side of this single. But Sam had already played the recording of That's All Right to DJ Dewey Phillips. And Dewey had a radio show that played a mix of R&B and hillbilly music. If you're going to name your kid Dewey, you know they're going to be a radio DJ. That's right. <laughs> uh, 
um, Dewey loved it. He played it about 11 times on his show, like back to back. He had like an hour long show and he loved it. He kept playing it. People started calling in during the show and being like, hey, play that song again. Huh. He's playing it back to back. And they started like getting people were calling up saying, how can I get a copy of this single? They don't even have it. This isn't even pressed yet. They didn't even have a B-side yet. So they they decided to do an up-tempo version of Blue Moon of Kentucky by Bill Monroe, um, who later on had heard it and hated their version of his song. He felt like they ruined it. Um, <laughs> the, so they funny. yeah so they pressed the single. It starts selling locally. It was constantly being played on the local radio. A couple of weeks later, um, Sam got Elvis, Scotty, and Bill on a lineup of a concert at the Memphis Overton Park. And they started doing That's All Right and soon noticed that some of the girls in the audience were yelling and calling and stuff. And so I'm going to go to the book and read a little bit about <laughs> what, uh, what they say here. Um, so, like, they, they, like, Elvis said, he, he was like, what happened? You know, they say, do, they do, like, three songs. That's all they know. And they get off stage and it, Elvis is like, were, like, were they laughing at you? What happened? And, and. Sam was like, I don't know, Elvis, but whatever what you were doing, get it back out there and do it again. So they went back out. They did the same songs again because it's the only ones they knew. And the girls went wilder. <laughs> so after the show, Scotty explained what he thought had happened. Most singers in those days stood flat-footed and still by the stand-up microphone and sang. But Elvis and the boys didn't have a drummer. It's just a bass player and a guitar and two oh, guitar yeah. players. Because um, Elvis is playing just guitar, too. Right. So Elvis had been using his body to keep the rhythm. He's leaning forward on the balls of his feet, and he's shaking his leg to keep time. Um, and that, because he's wearing some very loose-fitting pleated trousers, his continual moving around, what he'd done when they'd been recording, too, it looked, well, kind of provocative. Uh, Bill put it another way. To, look, to him, it looked as though something was going on inside of his pants. Oh. And that's what got the girls excited. Because they thought he had a boner? Because, well, they think they, they think they can see his dick swinging. Oh. I mean, maybe they could see his dick swinging. I don't know. But I that's what know. that's what it looks I like. Haven't, I haven't analyzed. Well, and I think also, I mean, listen, he's like 19 at this time. Like, he's good looking, <coughs> you know. Oh, yeah, he's a very good looking. Uh, yeah, player. yeah. I mean, he still, he had some acne, but he was good looking. He looks different because he, like, he did dress in this pretty wild style. And... You, you go to see, like, a lot of times you go to see these shows, and especially if you're looking at, like, um, like bluegrass music, stuff like that, these are, like, guys in their 30s and 40s, and they were very straight-laced, and they would just stand and sing, and nothing against them, they were good singers, but here you have one of the first times that you've got this young, good-looking guy, and he's on stage, and he's, like, moving around a little bit, I think the girls were just like, wow. You know, this guy's hot. That's funny. Yeah, so it, it was just like this immediate reaction. And, you know, Elvis was somebody that, like, he... Uh, the, I think this thing, it's, it's really hard to pinpoint what makes somebody successful or whatever. What makes somebody, what gives this spark. I truly believe that if you have the desire to do something, you can do it. But I also believe that people, some people have a little extra push. So, like, if, if you wanted to become a singer, you could become a singer. I can't. I don't have. <laughs> but I think you can even, like, you can practice and overcome whatever it is. Can you really? I think so. I didn't know that. <laughs> but I, but it, I think a lot of it is the drive is the thing. Not the, because, like, I, I, I really hate it when somebody, like, says, like, 
oh, I can't ever do art because I don't have any talent for it. You were born with it, Rachel. Oh, I hate that. And it's like, well, yes, there might have been something, but part of what you were born with was the spark to work hard at it and get better. You know, so the other person could probably, maybe they might not going to be as good as somebody else, but they can be competent at something if they have the spark and drive to do it. So Elvis had the spark and drive to do it. He also was born with a good voice. Right. And he was born with this, like, you know, he, he had a really natural grace and comfort with his body. If you watch some of his old videos, he's extremely comfortable in himself, which is something that not a lot of men are naturally. Oh, yeah, for sure. But also, he did work and develop it. He, this was something, he didn't just fall into it. He didn't miraculously become this huge star. He would work at it. So he would be on stage and he would see, this is getting a reaction. I'm going to do it again and again and again and get better and better and better at it. Mm-hmm. So, and same with his singing. You know, his voice did change through the years because he came more and more adept at it. He did have a good ear. Mm-hmm. But, and, and uh, he was able, his voice was very um, flexible and he was able to sing a lot of different styles. He was able to sing rock and roll and sing ballads, sing country and gospel and blues and, you know. So it wasn't the Forrest Gump way that he started to dance? No, it wasn't the Forrest Gump way. <laughs> <coughs> Um, no, it wasn't watching some, watching some crippled kid. Yeah. No, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so like I said, he, he, he had an, a natural, like, like he saw a reaction to this, but he did have this very, very comfortable in his body. Right. Which is like, I think that he could have been a very good dancer later on when he did the movie Jailhouse Rock and he had to do actual choreography for the first time. He did pick it up and did very well at it. Um, so I think had he been able to have that training and had the drive to do that, he could have been a good dancer too. Right. So anyway. Okay. Um, so they started playing regularly and Elvis grew more confident on stage. According to Moore, his movement was a natural thing, but he was also very conscious of what got a reaction. He would do something one time and then he would expand on it real quick. You know. <coughs> so sorry. That's okay. He, Elvis made his first television appearance at the KSLA-TV television broadcast of Louisiana Hayride. Um, by early 1955, Elvis had become a regional star from Tennessee to West Texas. He came to the attention of Colonel Tom Parker, who was a manager and promoter in the music business. By August, Sun had released 10 sides credited to Elvis Presley, Scotty, and Bill, which many of them blended R&B and country into what kind of became rockabilly. And at the time, Presley was variously billed as the King of Western Bop, the Hillbilly Cat, and the Memphis Flash. Hillbilly Cat is very cute. Yeah. I like Memphis Flash, too. That's a good one, too. Um, in November 1955, Colonel Parker made a deal for RCA Victor to buy out Elvis's contract from Sun Records for an unprecedented $40,000. Wow. Yeah, contracts weren't bought that high. Elvis was still only 20. Do we know what that is adjusted? No, I don't. I'm sorry. Just curious. Yeah. Elvis was still only 20, (coughs) so his father signed the contract. Aww. By December, RCA had begun to heavily promote its new star, and before month's end had reissued many of his son recordings. And, you know, there's a lot of people I've seen, or a lot of things I've seen, that 
talk about how um, Elvis's best work was on Sun and he never should have left and whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, and there was a, a definitely a rawness that he lost when he left Sun Records. But I think also on the flip side, RCA had the money to really push him to into the like mega stardom that he then start, achieved. And also being on RCA got him the ability to um, collaborate with like, he does a lot of work later on with Lieber and Stoller and um, who were prominent songwriters. So he was able to get more material that he probably wouldn't have had access to if he'd stayed on Sun Records. Well, and if he was more uh, raw on Sun, it's very possible that when he moved, they wanted to kind of cut that back because it's more commercial. Well, yeah, but I mean, he's still making definite rock and roll at this point. Right. Even, even throughout the rest of the 50s, it's still, like, they weren't trying to turn him into, like, you know, Perry Como or Bing Crosby or something like that. He's still a rock and roll star. Um, it's just that the the records had, they started to have some, you know, some more polished recordings, better recordings. Right. Um, backing vocals, full band, that kind of stuff that he didn't really have before. And like I said, access to more varied songwriters. So that, that made a difference. Um, on January 10th, 1956, Elvis made his first recordings for RCA in Nashville with Scotty Moore, Bill Black, drummer DJ Fontana, and pianist Lloyd Kramer. RCA also enlisted guitarist Chet Atkins and three background singers to fill out the sound. And this session produced the Moody Heartbreak Hotel, which is kind of an unusual song. It's if you an listen odd to it. song. It's an odd song. Um, and that was released as a single in January 27. A, he appeared on his first national TV show, CBS's stage show, in New York, and then had a recording session in which he covered Carl Perkins' Blue Suede Shoes. What year is this, do you know? Uh, this is 56. Gotcha. In March, Colonel Parker officially became Elvis's manager. And Colonel Parker, he's he's a little shady. I didn't really find, I didn't look for too much stuff about him. Is his name Colonel? And he actually, no, he actually was okay. a, uh, given that title That's as a colonel. I wasn't sure. Um, I don't know how official the title Just a was, curiosity. But, <laughs> His, no, his name was Tom. Gotcha. Tom Parker. Um, and, like, if for better or for worse, he was Elvis's manager for the rest of his life. And he made decisions for Elvis. Um, he really pushed him into, like, doing all of the Hollywood movies. Elvis wanted to do movies at first, but then this grind of all of these. And right. we'll talk a lot more in the next episode about the the Hollywood movies. Um but he, he wanted him to keep doing that. He never wanted him to leave the country. The only time Elvis ever left the country was when he was in the service. He never toured overseas. Um, and he really wanted him to keep doing this, like, big let's make money schlock as, instead of really encouraging him to continue to be a viable right, right. artist. Um, but anyway, like I said, we'll probably go into more detail of that next next episode. RCA released uh, Presley's self-titled debut album on March 23rd. It became the first rock and roll album to top the Billboard chart, a position it held for 10 weeks. And it featured a really iconic cover. That's the cover of Elvis, um, 
like mid song with a guitar on. Oh, and yeah. yeah, we'll post that picture on our Instagram because it really is. It's it's such a dynamic. It's a cool picture. picture. It's yeah. a good picture. Um, twelve weeks after its original release, Heartbreak Hotel became Elvis's first number one pop hit. In late April, it Presley began a two-week residency at the New Frontier Hotel and Casino on the Las Vegas Strip, uh, which is funny because it really wasn't well received. Um, it's funny too because he's so associated. He's so with associated Vegas. with Las Vegas, yeah. But at this point, he's still pretty raw rock and roll star. And Vegas is so um, cheesy. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's so much of that Rat Pack kind of entertainment. It's it's very yeah, rock and roll definitely didn't have a place in Vegas at that time. But he also at this time signed a seven year contract with Paramount Pictures. Elvis loved the movies, and there was times when he was dating Dixie. There was one time where she like went away for a couple of weeks when I don't know when visiting some relatives or something and they said he just watched that's all he did for that two weeks was just watch movies over that's and over very, again that's very cute and this was around the time when he did the first single that, that you know that that's all right and so she came back and all of a sudden he's being played on the radio and this also kind of started to spell the doom for their relationship, you know? Right. Like I said, she's like 15, 16, but she's like got dreams of let's get married and settle down. You could be an electrician. Da, 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 da. And then all of a sudden he starts touring, not touring, but, you know, playing all these gigs and he's busy all the time. And he wants to like expand his music career. And I think it was just like, yeah, this isn't really going to work out. Right. Um, but anyway, Elvis loved the movies, and he had taken some of his inspiration for his look from the movies. He started to wear eyeliner, because movie, movie stars wore it. Right. And he had ambition to be a movie star. And that was just another thing that kind of made Elvis stand out, too, because men didn't wear makeup right. <laughs> in those days. Um, he appeared on the Milton Berle show, and during the performance, Elvis abruptly halted an up-tempo version of Big Mama Thornton's Hound Dog, with a wave of his arm and launched into a slow grinding version, accentuated with energetic, exaggerated body movements. I don't like the way you said grinding. Yeah, well, this it said his gyration <coughs> caused a ton of controversy. Oops. So he's on this show, he's doing you know this fast version, and all of a sudden mm -hmm. he kind of waves to the band and starts really just like it's if you watch it, it's like a bump and grind. It really is, and his his started he, he'd already started like the real conservatives were already starting to kind of be like oh there's this guy who's doing these shows and the girls are going nuts over him and we're not too comfortable with this and um he like i said he's starting to get really thought of as being like this social menace and he's just way too sexual and yeah that's funny yeah um he started to get called elvis the pelvis same yeah, and he, he called that one of the most childish expressions I've ever heard coming from an adult. He really hated that nickname. I mean, that's true. It's a really, that's like a, that's like a nickname you get as like an eight-year-old. Oh, I know. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's, it's funny stupid. now, yeah. but it's a stupid nickname for, yeah. for adult. Adult. <coughs> I'm so sorry. Adults. Yeah. So he goes on the Milton Berle show. He does this gyration. Everybody's just like, that's shocking. That's horrible. How could how could we even have that on our TV sets? But the Milton Berle shows had huge ratings. Duh. 
So Duh, teenage yeah. girl. <laughs> yeah. So he got booked for a July 1st appearance on NBC's Steve Allen show in New York. And Allen hated rock and roll. Steve Allen hated rock and roll. So he did this thing. It's really hokey. He introduced a new Elvis. And Elvis has got a bow tie on and, and uh, tails. And Elvis sings Hound Dog for just like a half a minute to a basset hound sitting on a chair. It's really stupid. I mean... The dog's probably cute. The dog's cute. Yeah, the dog's cute. I mean, all these clips, you can find them all over, you know, YouTube and everything. Elvis thought this was ridiculous, but he told a reporter, I'm holding down on this show. I don't want to do anything to make people dislike me. I think TV is important, so I'm going to go along, but I won't be able to give the kind of show I do in a personal appearances. Elvis is just like, you know what? I'll I'll, I'll play your game. That's fine. You know, if that's what you want, I'll play your game. I'll make nice. I'll do these stupid things that you want me to do. Um, the next day he recorded Hound Dog and Don't Be Cruel and he, his vocal group that he had backing up was called the Jordanaires. They were a group that had sang with him on the Steve Allen show and they would work with him all through the sixties. So there was another, there was the, the biggest show, the biggest variety show on TV at the time was the Ed Sullivan show. And Ed Sullivan had initially said he'll, he'll never have Elvis on his show. He won't have that rock and roll on his show. But um, his appearance on the Steve Allen show doing this stupid, like, hound dog thing, it had enabled, for the first time, Steve Allen show had beaten CBS's Ed Sullivan show in the ratings. Oops. So guess who Ed Sullivan booked on his show? Elvis. Yeah. So he booked <coughs> him for three appearances for an unprecedented $50,000. Yee. Yeah. And they, they, he had three appearances on the third appearance. They only showed him waist up. I've heard that story. Yes, before. but that was the third appearance. Yeah. So it wasn't like a lot of people thought in retroactively that this was a publicity sign. That's possible. Because they didn't have a problem with showing his full body in the earlier appearances. Whatever. Um, I've heard that story. Before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the performance of his forthcoming single, the ballad Love Me Tender, prompted a record-shattering million advance orders. And he, this, the first appearance on Ed Sullivan just really shot his, you know, celebrity into the oh, stratosphere. Yeah. It really did. Um, his second album, titled Elvis, was released in October, and it quickly rose to number one on the Billboard. So his first album is Elvis Presley, and his second album is Elvis? Yes. Which is fairly typical of these know, times. I know, yeah. Because the other thing is, is like albums at this time aren't, they're pretty much like whatever your hot, like everybody was like all about the single, it's all about the single, all about the single. And so it isn't till like later into the 60s and predominantly with the Beatles where albums start to become an entity of them. Right, right, gotcha. Um, so it's basically like, you know, you'd have your like, oh, we've got three or four singles we're putting on this, and then we're just going to record whatever songs happen to be popular right now, and then we're just going to put it out and give it a name. Yeah, they they really, albums were such an afterthought. Copyright was weird in these days as well. It is, it is. Um, his first motion picture, Love Me Tender, was released on November 21st, which is like a Western movie. It's really different from most Elvis. I've never yeah. seen it. Um, the original title was the Reno brothers and it's basically, uh, it's a Western about these two brothers and Elvis isn't even top billed. He's not the top brother. And then there's like this little romance thing and it, it wasn't even a musical, you know? Right. And they, like I said, they were originally going to call it the Reno brothers. They changed the title. Love me tender because of his song. 
and they shoved like four musical numbers into the movie just to make it like appeal to having Elvis in it. Uh, the movie was panned by critics, but it did really well at the box office because of Elvis. And teens. Yes. And Elvis would receive top billing on every subsequent film he made. Right. He never did this kind of stuff after that. Like, at pretty much most most movies he made after that were custom made for him, too. It wasn't like, oh, we've got a film role. Hey, you want to see if Elvis wants to do it? It was, Elvis needs another film. Write a script for it. Right, right. For the most part. Um, Elvis made his third and final Ed Sullivan show appearance on January 6th, 1957. And on this occasion, he was shot only from the waist up. Right. At the end, to close, displaying his range and defying Sullivan's wishes, Elvis sang a gentle black spiritual piece in the valley. At the end of the show, Sullivan declared Presley a real decent fine boy. Aw. Yes. So he got the parent approval. It basically. Basically. <clears throat> Two days later, the Memphis Draft Board announced that Presley would be classified 1A and would probably be drafted sometime that year. So, we're going into 1957, and the, I think this whole draft thing is kind of looming over, but it's like, you know, we're just going to go on business as usual. His career is really... Well, yeah, a lot of people are really drafted at this exactly, point. So. Exactly, exactly. And his, like I said, his career is really skyrocketing at this point. So he had three singles in the first half of 1957 that all went to number one. And I believe I'll find this for sure for the next time, but I believe that Elvis is still like the, the artist with the most number one singles. He might be. Something like there's, yeah, there is some, there is like one record that he still had. A lot of his records of course have been surpassed in recent years, but I'm pretty sure he's the one with the most number one singles still. Anyway, uh, he had three singles in the first half of 1957 that went to number one. Uh, songs called Too Much, All Shook Up, and Let Me Be Your Teddy Bear. For the rest of 1957, he alternated between film shoots and recording sessions. It is Elvis, by the way. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Um, he filmed Loving You, Jailhouse Rock, and King Creole. He also found time to purchase an 18-room mansion eight miles south of downtown Memphis for himself and his parents, which was Graceland. Right. What do you do with the other? Is it eighteen rooms? What do you do with the other fifteen rooms? Um, I think. He, well, oh, I'm thinking. Be- I think it's just bedrooms. Yeah, this I is just. I, I don't know how many bedrooms there were. <coughs> maybe, maybe later on we'll get into Graceland a little bit because you can curious. still go visit it. It's a museum now. Yeah, I know. I want to. I want. I would like. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to visit it sometime. Excuse me, I'm so sorry. You're fine. Um. Yeah, I don't know exactly how many bedrooms it has, but I, Elvis always liked to have people around too. So he, there was almost always somebody staying I can with see him. That. Yeah. I just, have you seen people leave little um, like like uh, at a lot of grave sites and stuff mm-hmm. like that? People leave like little things. I've seen people leave like little hound dogs. Yeah, stuff, and teddy bears, which is really cute. A lot teddy of teddy bears, bears too. Teddy bears. Yeah. I saw someone left a pair of uh, blue suede shoes. Yeah. Really cute stuff. Yeah. And they'll they'll leave them like around the gates. The gates are very famous. Um, where obviously he had the gates installed and yeah. they're like the black wrought iron with music yeah, notes all I've over them. Yeah, they're, cool. they're iconic. At Divine's gravesite, people leave condoms. Excellent. I know. I'm surprised they don't leave wigs. Some people leave wigs. That would make sense. But a lot of people leave... Or like, high heel shoes. Or high heel shoes. A lot of people leave used condoms, though. That's creepy. I'd That's, rather have wigs than shoes. I mean, I think it's funny. It's funny. Apparently, John Waters loves it. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because John Waters is a of course. perfect human. Of course. Anyway, sorry. At least they're not leaving, like, chickens, which would be creepy. No, I don't think they do that. That would be creepy. 
or donkeys. I don't think anybody. Well, they might do that. They might do that. <laughs> that actually sounds about right. Whew. Anyway, let's let that'll be later on. Sorry, that was that was my fun fact of grave sites for today. Oh. Um, he recorded a Christmas album that would become the best-selling Christmas album ever in the United States. I think I have that Christmas album somewhere. Or yeah. Emily, Emily might actually. Emily might have them. I, my younger daughter Emily went through a really big Elvis phase in she her loves teen Elvis. years, yeah. which is which was unusual. Some of the songs that are on the playlist I got from Emily. Emily. Thank you, Emily. Emily recommended. Yeah, yeah. It, it was kind of cool. I mean, I've never been a huge Elvis fan. I don't dislike Elvis. It just wasn't your... Well, like, I grew up when he was... Like, when I was a kid, he was still alive. Right. And they would sometimes show, like, like concerts on TV. But he was just, like, this old guy who was really kind of bloated and stuff. Well, yeah. and, and, you know, we'll get into that later on. But it so he wasn't somebody that, like... As a child, I would be like, "Oh yeah, I really liked his music." Yeah, I never. You know, he was like, he was like the parents' music to right. me. I never went through like an Elvis phase mm-hmm. as much as like Emily did, obviously. Yeah, but like I've always been fascinated with all the mystery around oh, Elvis, sure. and he's really associated with Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and I think Vegas is a very weird place that I have a kind of a fascination for. Yeah. Um. Excuse me. <coughs> oh, fuck. I'm so sorry. Um. But it's, so I've never had a fascination with his music as much as, like, his aura. Yeah, yeah, the persona. Yeah, the persona. Yeah. There's this weird movie with, I don't, I don't remember, but there's, like, an Elvis convention in it, and a whole bunch of people go. That's the one with Nick, ha- I Nick Cage? I think it's the one with Nick Cage. Yeah. It's a weird movie. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> if okay. anyone's curious. <laughs> so he, like I said, he recorded this uh, Christmas album, and it had eventual sales of over 20 million worldwide. After that session, Scotty Moore and Bill Black, who were drawing only modest weekly salaries, they didn't share in any of Presley's big, massive financial success, they resigned. Um, and though they were brought back on a per diem basis a few weeks later, it was clear that they were not been part of Elvis's inner circle for a some time, right. which, is, which is sad. That is sad. Yeah. On December 20th, Presley received his draft notice. He was granted a deferment to finish the forthcoming movie King Creole, but on March 24th, 1958, Presley was drafted into the U.S. Army. And that right. is where we're going to end this first one. Okay. With the draft. So how do you feel about oh. about that? How do you mean in general? I mean, I know how you feel. You feel like shit. I feel like shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but about the story so far. It's really interesting. There's some things I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know so much about the... Um, like his really early recording days mm-hmm. at a, what was that called? Sun, Sun, Sun Records. Sun Records. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's a three letter word. Yeah. <laughs> three letter word records. Um, I didn't know a lot of that. That was really interesting. Um, but I, I've known a, a bit of other things. Like I know a little bit about his service. I know the Ed Sullivan show because I've seen yeah. those. Uh, basically anything they parodied on, <laughs> yeah. front, on what is that movie called? <laughs> and what's that movie with the... Uh, you know who it is. It's the Dewey Cox story. Oh, gosh, yes. Oh. For... Yes, Dewey Cox has a lot of... What the fuck is that called? Something it's like... Walk Hard. Walk Hard. I mean, it's def- it's a it's a direct parody. Oh, yeah, I know. The, the, uh, um... Walk On or whatever the fuck that one was called. Um... <coughs> is that Joaquin Phoenix? The Joaquin that? Phoenix as... as um... Elvis? Not, he's, he's not, not Elvis? Elvis, is he? No, he's... he's um. Oh my god, Johnny Cash! He's always Johnny yeah. Cash. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, it's my the Johnny Cash biography. Johnny Cash biography. Yeah. I had some I had, there are, I had mixed signals yeah. somewhere in there. Yeah. I mean, Elvis is 
whole story of just being like this naive country boy who becomes very to, yeah. It, it is a very iconic story. Yeah. And it's been, you know, and it is similar to Johnny Cash yes, in a lot of ways. Yes. But it's and it's been like parodied and oh, also yeah. told straightforward over and over time again. I'm sure there's so, a Simpsons parody that I've yeah, seen. Yeah, you, you see a lot of. And I'm, of course, the, there will be later stuff about yeah. all the Elvis didn't really die. I've heard so of much stuff. of that stuff, which I find... That's the stuff that I'm really into. Yeah. Which is... Because I just like music mysteries anyway. Yeah. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm really interested in. Uh, so that's the kind of stuff I remember from Elvis. Yeah. Like, I mean, I remember when Elvis died. I'm sure you do. I was like 11, 12, yeah. something like that. So you were like, oh... Yeah, it was a really funny thing was... You probably were like, that's sad. Yeah, like, the, it was like the, I don't know, the day before he died, the day after we died, we went to this one, like, some friends of my parents had this big party, and I just remember being there and running around with the other kids, and it was like this big outdoor, you know. Right. And um, it was like a pig roast party, you know. And, and... I just remember, like, that's all anybody was talking about. I know my grandpa had a pig roast party. Oh, no, they their friend. They did. No, their got friend it. did. Got their it. Now I'm there. Now I'm there. Um, and I, like I said, I just remember everybody talking about it. Oh, I'm sure. You know, like, all the adults. Like, yeah. the kids would just be like, but at, like, every every time you'd walk past a group of people having a conversation, that's what they were talking that's about. That's funny. Yeah. I don't remember any of those. I remember, like, obviously I remember, like, when Prince died and stuff like that. Yeah. But I, I was an adult at that point. Yeah. And it's the same thing with, like, um, like like Michael Jackson. I was an adult. Yeah. When that happened. Or yeah. when I was a teenager. You were a teenager, yeah. But it wasn't... I don't remember anything where it was so big. Maybe 9-11. That happened when I was a kid. Well, yeah. But I remember adults talking about that. Oh, I see what you're you saying. You know what I mean? I In that same, like, vein of, like, being, like, I'm not really 100% sure what's going on. What's going on. on. Because mm-hmm. I'm, like child yeah but also like i know something serious happened because all the adults are freaking yeah. out yeah yeah for sure which is a weird mm-hmm. that's a weird thing mm-hmm. and and to me like when he died it felt like you know well, it's just some old guy because yeah. i'd only seen pictures of him towards the end there well yeah and he was 46 yeah he just was not I mean, healthy oh gosh yeah it's yeah. just crazy and sad yeah crazy how young he was but anyway, that like i said We'll talk into that stuff. So yeah. that's the end of this first part. Uh, thank you <coughs> for our theme song, Don't I Know You. Thank you. And thanks to Rachel for our logo. You're welcome. Thank you, Rachel. We have an Instagram, Tales from the Rock Side. We have a Facebook, Tales from the Rock Side. We are on iTunes. Please like, rate, review us. Please tell us what you would like us to do. Give us some suggestions. We appreciate that. And most importantly, please recommend us to your friends. We want to grow this little podcast. I think we're fun. I hope people are enjoying it. I know. I really hope people are enjoying it. You know, we love feedback. Hopefully I'll be more fun next time. Yes. So, um, thanks for listening. Do you want me to say rock on? I can sure. say rock on. Oh god! Wow, so so sad. so enthusiastic. Ooh, what a sad. Oh, I can't. Bye. Bye. Where's the mouse? <laughs>